Hey folks, this is the podcast of Principia Journal of Classical Education. I'm Brian Williams, general editor of Principia Journal and host of the Principia podcast. We are recording a few miles from Valley Forge on the outskirts of historic Philadelphia, where I live. Principia podcast is an informal version of the journal where I converse with authors of Principia articles and other scholars connected to contemporary classical education and where I muse about key moments, educators, texts and ideas in the long history of classical liberal arts education. Now, in the first couple episodes, I've been reflecting on tradition and how it grows and develops and changes and trying to argue that classical education is just that. It's a tradition. It's not a blueprint. We are not trying to replicate exactly what the Greeks and the Romans did because we are part of a tradition that has grown and changed through time, even though it owes its origin to three, uh, three great traditions, the Greeks, the Romans, and in particular, the North African Christians. In the last episode, I mused uh, about some of the metaphors that we have for thinking about tradition. Uh, that great line, tradition is not the worship of ashes, but the preservation of fire. G.K. Chesterton's idea that tradition is democracy extended through time or the democracy of the dead. Yuroslav uh, Pelikan's line that tradition is the living faith of the dead and traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. And John Henry Newman's idea that the stream is not always clearest nor deepest near the spring. Now, in this episode, I want to shift a little bit from thinking about how traditions change and develop, and this tradition has changed and developed, to returning to the idea or returning to one of the principia of the tradition, one of the enduring questions, commitments, or principles that has defined fairly consistently classical, medieval, modern, and contemporary versions of what we call classical education. Namely, today I want to reflect on the ends that classical education pursues in the lives of its practitioners and students. Now, I want to begin our ruminations today with a passage I love and have often cited in talks over the past several years. If you've heard me speak, you may have heard me read this passage from a classical teacher of Greek and Latin describing the beginning of the day in his school and some of the curriculum. I'll read it slowly. He writes, in the morning, when the sun is golden, the clang of the daybell brings the hurry and laughter of 300 young hearts from hall and street. And from the busy city below, children join their clear young voices in the music of the morning sacrifice. In a half dozen classrooms, they gather then, here to follow the love song of Dido, here to listen to the tale of Troy divine, there to wander among the stars. There to wander among men and nations and elsewhere other well-worn ways of knowing this queer world. Nothing new, no time-saving devices, simply old-time glorified methods for delving for truth and searching out the hidden beauties of life and learning the good of living. As an aside, uh, you've just heard him reference uh, not only... Uh, the Aeneid, not only the Iliad and the Odyssey, not only astronomy, but also history and the quiv trivium and the quadrivium and the true, the good and the beautiful, just uh, in case you missed that. 
Sorry, let me pick it back up. He says, this curriculum was laid before the pharaohs, was taught in the groves by Plato, formed the trivium and quadrivium. And this course of study will not change. Its methods will grow more deft and effectual. Its content richer by toil of scholar and side of seer. But the true school will ever have one goal. Not to earn meat, but to know the end and aim of that life which meat nourishes. The vision of life that rises before these dark eyes has in it nothing mean or selfish. It is the determination to realize the broadest possibilities of life, to seek the better and the best, because the final product of our training must be neither a psychologist nor a brick mason, but a man. And where shall we ground knowledge save on the broadest and deepest knowledge? The roots of the tree rather than the leaves are the sources of its life. Pretty marvelous. Now, some of you may recognize it from W.E.B. Du Bois's 1903, The Souls of Black Folk, describing the beginning of a day in Atlanta University. Now, du Bois is the founder, co-founder of the NAACP, the American Negro Academy, and a classical educator of Greek and Latin. We could spend quite a few podcasts, no doubt, musing our way through this fairly comprehensive narration of some of the enduring methods, materials, morals, and ends that animate this classical vision and practice of education. But let me read from one of his contemporaries. Uh, this is uh, from one of my other favorite, uh, more contemporary classical educators. More, that is, more contemporary than, say, Plato and Aristotle. Uh, from the whip-smart and incredibly accomplished Anna Julia Cooper. In one of her essays, she writes, We must, whatever else we do, insist on those studies which, by the consensus of educators, are calculated to train people to think, which will give them the power of appreciation and make them righteous. Again, you notice the reference to the true, the good, the beautiful right there. She says, In a word, we are building men, not chemists or farmers or cooks or soldiers, but men ready to serve the body politic in whatever avocation their talent is needed. This is fundamental, whether for white men, red men, yellow men, or black men, whether for rich men or poor men, high or low. This is complemented by another contemporary of theirs, uh, another one of my favorite classical educators from the late 19th century, or late, 20, yeah, late 19th century, William Sanders Scarborough. He also writes, But whether utility in education is to be considered, or culture, or the mere acquisition of knowledge, one thing seems certain that all will agree that education has a purpose. He says, that purpose is to make manhood, to make womanhood, or rather to make men and women. And to make manhood and womanhood, if you will, requires more than mere mental culture, more than the mere acquisition in knowledge, more than industrial training though all of these may help in the making. Character, he says, should be the true aim of all education. The first aim, as skill needs the guiding hand of knowledge and knowledge the disciplining power of culture, so all these need the influence of strong character. See, all three of these are American classical educators from around 100 years ago. They're all important figures in the tradition. You'll see that they all share a fundamental concern with each other and really with the tradition as a whole about the ends of education. Uh, in his politics, Aristotle says that one of the first questions we need to settle is what education is for 
because that will determine everything else we do. The end may not justify the means, but it does determine them. And Du Bois and his fellow educators worried about the kinds of persons and citizens their fellow African-Americans would become after the Civil War if what they called industrial education came to dominate the social imagination as the sole end of education. This vision prescribed little more than vocational training that prepared workers for the market economy who would find gainful employment and accumulate wealth. That is, who could get a job and make money. Now, doesn't that sound familiar, right? It sounds a lot like what most of my students and probably a lot of yours, if you're teachers and many of your parents, think is the end of education. I just asked my students this. Why do you go to school? You go to school to get a job. Why do you get a job? You get a job to make money. Why do you make money? Silence. Guess so you accumulate stuff or something. Now, to be clear, none of these educators were opposed to earning an income, providing for one's family, making money to give money, or establishing an economic role in one's society, right? A job provides human goods. It enables us to contribute to the common good and allows us to communicate with one another economically. Uh, that education would lead to uh, skilled work and gainful employment wasn't their concern. I mean, from the, from the very beginning, education had that as one of its ends. Any kind of formal education, whether that was training someone to be a, a doctor or a lawyer or a churchman or a scribe or whatever, it had this practical end. But <clears throat> their concern, like the entire classical liberal arts tradition before them and after them, was that to narrow the scope of education to this end or any single end would be to narrow the scope of human being. Let me say that again. To narrow the scope of education is to narrow the scope of human being. See, it is to perpetuate a reductionistic view of human persons and how education can move them toward multidimensional human flourishing. I describe it sometimes. This is paideia for eudaimonia, right? This is formation for flourishing. And these educators were concerned that if education was reduced like this, it would fail to prepare their students to become the neighbors, fellow citizens, business associates, politics, and in many cases, friends that we in our society need. So these three educators and the long tradition have consistently argued that the telos of education should be coordinated some way with the telos of a human being. That means, again, that education could and should nurture multidimensional human flourishing because it can't help but nurture human formation. It should nurture multidimensional human flourishing because it can't help but nurture human formation. People are formed in schools. They will be formed in schools. If you spend 16 to 20 years in, one, in an institution, an academic institution, you will be a different person than had you not spent those 16 years in that institution. That is true no matter what age you are. And because the ends determine to some degree the means, this implies that every pedagogy is a kind of practical anthropology and that curricula embody certain philosophies of human flourishing. And so the classical tradition has said very consistently, let's start with the question of ends. 
What's the goal? What's the tell us? What's the aim towards which we are trying to move our students? This is like those schools that say, okay, what kind of graduate do we want? What do we want our graduating seniors to know? What do we want them to be able to do? And what kind of character do we want them to have? All right, this is thinking of the, the knowledge, the skills, and the character. And then the question is, of course, well, how do we help our students move towards what we want them to know, to be able to do, and if you will, uh, to, to love? So let me identify uh, the six integrated ends or goals of human formation that the long tradition of classical education has fairly consistently identified as integral to this tradition. These are the six that we help our students pursue in and out of our classrooms, on the playing fields, in the lunchroom, through what we hang on our walls, how we speak with them, how we relate to each other, how we live our lives, what we teach them, and how we teach them. Now, not every class pursues each of these ends to the same degree at the same time in the same way, but classical educators and classical schools have and should consider all six and how and when they are moving their students along towards these six ends and how they are helping their students integrate them. Now, along with the six integrated ends or areas of formation, I've correlated them with six questions, six goods, and six ills that these six ends will help our students overcome. Six ills that we hope to liberate or free them from. So I don't have a whiteboard to write all these on. If I, if I did, uh, I could display them for you. And so I'll have to, I'll go through them slowly to try to help you uh, see how they all relate together. First, here are the six ends. I'll give you the six ends. Then I'll go back one at a time and identify the questions, uh, the answers to those questions, and then the vices or ills that they are intended to liberate us and our students from. The six ends that really quite consistently show up through the tradition, even though some authors and educators emphasize one more than another, are, are these as I identify them. Intellectual, moral, aesthetic, spiritual, physical, and practical. So think of these six as six areas of formation. Intellectual formation, moral formation, aesthetic formation, spiritual formation, physical formation, and practical formation. Now, what questions help us unpack these areas? Well, with the intellectual, the question is often, what should I know? Could also add, how should I think? But it's usually, what should I know? With respect to moral formation, it's what should I do or what should I love? With aesthetic formation, I think the question is something like, what should I enjoy? With spiritual formation, it's who or what should I worship? Physical formation, the question is, how should I use my body or how should I discipline my body? And the practical, sometimes think of as, the econom as economic formation, is what should I make? Let me give you those again. Intellectual, moral, aesthetic spiritual, physical, and practical formation. Questions that help us get at those with our students are, what should I know? What should I do or what should I love? What should I enjoy? Who or what should I worship? How should I use my body? 
and what should I make? Now, let me go back to the first intellectual formation. Answers the question, what should I know? The answer, you should know and pursue the true. How? Through knowledge. Why? To be liberated from vice and ignorance. To be freed from vice and ignorance. So intellectual formation helps us think about the question, what should I know? It answers that question by saying, what should I know? You should know the true. How? Through the pursuit of knowledge in order to be liberated from vice and ignorance. That's one that we might readily expect uh, to find in the tradition. It's, an, it's a tradition of education, right? So, of course, there's intellectual formation. Of course, we're trying to think about what we should know and, and how we should know it. But the classical tradition says, yeah, sure, intellectual formation is important. It's one of the great gifts that schools have to give. They don't have all the gifts to give, but this is one that they do give. But it's not only intellectual formation. We're not just attending to the, the, the brains or the cognitive processes of our students. There are also these other five dimensions of human being. So let me go over the intellectual and I'll, I'll, I'll move on one more time. Schools in the classical tradition help students attend to their intellectual formation through answering the question, what should I know? By answering that, by saying you should pursue knowledge of the true, how, through knowledge, why? In order to be liberated from vice and ignorance. Now, moral formation. This helps us answer the question, what should I do? Or in Augustinian and Dantean language, what should I love? What should I do and towards what should I orient my life? The answer, you should orient it towards the good and do the good. How do I become the kind of person who can do the good and who loves the good? Tradition has said, well, through nurturing the virtues, through ordering your loves, through habituating yourself to do and think and feel that which is good. Why? To be liberated from vice. And we might think of to be liberated from vice and compulsive addictions that actually hinder me from pursuing the good that I want to pursue. So intellectual formation that pursues the true to be liberated from vice and ignorance. Moral formation that pursues the good in order to liberate our students from vice and addiction and disordered loves. That's the true and the good. You can see how this is developing. The third one, aesthetic formation. Right? I think the question here is, what should I enjoy? What should I adapt myself to enjoy? And the tradition has said, you should enjoy the beautiful. Right? How? Well, through adapting yourself again to feel pleasure at the right things in the right way. Why? In order to be liberated from ugliness or crassness or shallowness or that which is simply the titillating, if you will. So intellectual, moral, and aesthetic formation. What should I know? What should I do? What should I enjoy? I should know the true. Do the good and enjoy the beautiful. Now, fourth, spiritual formation. Obviously, this long tradition of classical education came to us through long history 
of uh, the Christian church, but also there were streams, of course, through the Islamic tradition and the Jewish tradition. But even for Plato and Aristotle, this was an important piece of education. Spiritual formation, answering the question, who or what should I worship? If I should worship anything, who or what should I worship? And certainly within the, the Christian stream of the classical tradition, the answer was, well, you should you should worship uh, the holy and do so how? Through devotion. Now, of course, this looks different in different schools, but it's certainly part of the tradition. Pursuing spiritual formation through answering the question, who or what should I worship? And answering that question through saying you should worship the holy through devotion. Why? To be liberated from something like numbness or obtuseness, I think. Spiritual numbness or spiritual obtuseness. Here we have so far, obviously, the true, the good, the beautiful, and the holy. Now, this one I had to come to. This one, this one took me a while to really see that this was central to the tradition. But you can't look at the earliest origins of the classical tradition and miss the fact that physical education, physical formation was an important part of the tradition. We are embodied creatures. We have bodies. We live through our bodies. We are bodies in many ways. And so the tradition has said, yes, that is an important part of being human. And so education ought to help you attend to that as well. So this fifth aspect, fifth area of human formation is the physical. And the question it helps us answer is, how should I use my body or what should I do with my body? And the tradition has said, you ought to pursue the healthy. How? Through discipline. Why? To be liberated from intemperance, if you will, or indulgence, or to be liberated from a body that doesn't actually allow me to do the things that I want to do. So here's our, our fifth end, uh, our fifth telloi of classical education, the physical. We have the intellectual, that pursues the true, moral, that pursues the good, aesthetic, that pursues the beautiful, spiritual, that pursues the holy, physical, that pursues the healthy, and finally, practical or economic. As we heard from Du Bois, Cooper, Scarborough, and really many, many in the tradition across the, the space of, of time and place, that education does prepare us for some practical end. Uh, one of the great authors on this is a, another um, great educator that was part of my doctoral research, a Hugh of St. Victor, in his wonderful book, The Didascalicon, where he reflects on the importance of and dignity of what are sometimes called the practical arts or the common arts, seeing that these are ways of Yes, nurturing our humanity, but also giving us a place in the society that we are trying to help create and trying to create in a, in a beautiful, whole and flourishing way. So this is the sixth area, uh, sixth telloi of classical education. The practical helps us answer the question, what should I make? Of course, it also, you know, the flip side of that is what should I not make? What kinds of jobs might I pursue or vocations might I pursue that are actually not good for me nor good for the society in which I live, which do not contribute to the common good or my individual good? So there's a, there's a there's certainly a moral aspect of this, but this practical uh, practical economic formation answers the question primarily, what should I make? 
And it answers that by saying you should make, you should pursue the truly useful, the truly beneficial, that which is useful or necessary or beneficial to you and the society. How? Through the cultivation of certain skills. Why? Well, to be liberated from, I think, something like ineptness or, of course, poverty. Uh, to the extent that's that's possible. So these six areas of human formation have been consistently identified through the tradition as six ends of education that ought to be integrated in our own lives and the lives of our students so that our students could flourish as fully orbed, multidimensional human persons. This is why I sometimes use the shorthand phrase, what we're doing is paideia, formation, education for eudaimonia, flourishing. And that's individual flourishing and social flourishing. So let me go through those again. Intellectual formation, moral formation, aesthetic formation, spiritual formation, physical formation, and practical formation in pursuit of respectively the true, the good, the beautiful, the holy, the healthy, and the useful. See, these, the tradition has said, help us in Du Bois's works, in his words, delve for truth, search out the hidden beauties of life, and learn the good of living in order to know the end and aim of that life which meat nourishes. And as the liberal arts help us develop these distinct aspects of our human being, we move toward a version of what the old Athenian tradition of education referred to as kalokagathia the good and beautiful person, or towards what Philip Melanchthon simply called humanitas, fully human humanity, and what Hugh of St. Victor called pulchrum esse, beautiful being, not simply politicus esse, technicus esse, or scientificus esse, which are the ideals of much contemporary education, but pulchrum esse, beautiful being. Now, you might remember the three characteristics of beauty inherited from Aristotle and Aquinas. That is, one, wholeness, integrity, or maturity. Two, relational harmony, coherence, or proportion. And three, a kind of claritas, radiance, attractiveness, and splendor. Pursuing these six integrated ends of multidimensional human, human formation and well-being, which the classical tradition has almost always done, helps our students move toward pulchrum essay, becoming integrated, whole, and radiant, beautiful beings. That's the enduring vision of classical education, one of the principia, that the, one of the ideals that educators hold out and ought to hold out before the students, and the ideal towards which educators help them move so that they're becoming not only psychologists, not only brick masons, in the words of Cooper, not only chemists, farmers, or cooks, or soldiers, but in the words of my friend Robin Burlew, so that we can help our students become good old people. Because as I often tell my students, I'm not simply responsible to your 16-year-old self, but also to your 26-year-old self, your 46-year-old self, and your 66-year-old self, and to all the people that you will interact with throughout your life. So my job is not to simply help you when I taught high school, pass a standardized test to get into college, or now that I'm teaching college, help you earn a degree and get a job, but to become, in Robin's words, a good old person. 
Now, let me wrap there. Questions for next time. You might think of these. How do you and your school pursue these six ends? Are they integrated? Uh, do your students understand this vision of education that should help them pursue the true, the good, the beautiful, the holy, the healthy, and the useful? Do your parents understand this? Do your teachers understand this? And how would it change if your goal, if the goal of your school was to help nurture a good old person rather than merely an 18-year-old who can pass a standardized test and get into the college of their choice or usually their parents' choice? All right, folks, with that, I'll sign off and I will let you get on with pursuing the good, the true, the beautiful, the holy, the healthy and the useful wherever you are. And you've been listening to Dr. Brian A. Williams, and this has been the podcast of the Principia Journal of Classical Education.